0: This is why the publican smote his breast, brethren. This is why he smote his breast and he would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Paul goes on to say, yea, what fear. What fear? The word fear has the connotation of alarm. A state of severe distress aroused by the thought of approaching pain fearful and here it does have the, the, the connotation of a reverential awe sensing the depth of their sin the Corinthians now feared grieving Paul and grieving God further you follow what I'm saying? When the word of God came home, they changed their mind about their indifference. And they feared going on with that. I don't want to go on in this. This dishonors God. This is shameful for a Christian. Oh Lord, in your mercy and in your grace, I don't want to sin like this against you. A reverential fear, not a slavish crawling around in the in the dirt but the desire to be done with this and to not approach it again. Oh, Paul heaps up even more. He says, yea, what vehement desire. What vehement desire. Yeah, and what that means is a, a, a yearning, a longing for. Now, some say that Paul, uh, that, that the, uh, Paul is saying that the, the Corinthians were yearning for him when they'd been against him. And that's possible. There are others, and, and I would agree with them, say that say that the yearning here is a yearning to now honor God and that's what we hadn't been doing before. What vehement yearning when you are wrong and you understand before God that you're wrong, the burning desire of your heart, if you've changed your mind, of course, as we said, is to get things right. And that is usually accompanied by a vehement desire. When I have sinned, there is something wrong between me and another person. I can't get any rest until it's right. I think that's something of the idea here. See if you can go, eh, well, you know, we'll, we'll tighten it up sooner or later. We'll get around to it you just about rest assured you're not going to get around to it. But there's a vehement <laughs> desire when you've changed your mind to see things right and to glorify God and to avoid that sin any further. He goes on to say, Yea, what zeal! They were zealous. They put the man out of the congregation as Paul instructed. They were zealous. Now when they were indifferent, something had happened and Paul could say, oh, what zeal is in you now? What happened? Repentance. They changed their minds. They were stone cold dead to this thing. And now all of a sudden, they were boiling over. There was a zeal within them that comes when there is a godly sorrow that leads to this kind of repentance. They were zealous to correct their wrongdoing. They were zealous to do what is right, and they were zealous to walk under Paul's authority. And finally, there's the word, it says, Yea, what revenge! Yea, what revenge! Now, of course, revenge is a penalty inflicted on wrongdoers. Now, this isn't the idea of just getting even with somebody, not the way that it is used here. Having seen the loathsome, abhorrent character of their sin, and now filled with a vehement desire, the longing to get things right, a desire to clear themselves of the charge that they were letting sin go on. The Corinthians obeyed Paul's command, they changed their behavior, they excommunicated the sinner, apparently post-haste. Paul says, "...sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many." It wasn't just one or two fired-up folks, so to speak, in the church. The church turned, and the church as a body said, He must be removed. That's the way it ought to be, by the way. It should be the church recognizing something within the congregation that according to the Word of God must in grace and mercy be dealt with, that it must be dealt with. Now we see in these very words, all of these words that we've looked at, the outworking of repentance. This is what repentance, true repentance, looks like. This is what it acts like. Don't, don't think for a moment and don't stop at simply conviction of sin. I've said this before, but brethren, I must tell you again, conviction is not conversion. Now, everybody that's ever been converted has sensed the the conviction of sin. They've known their guilt. But you can know your guilt and never repent and never savingly flee to Christ. And you as a believer can say, ah, yeah, well, you know, I know it's bad and I shouldn't have done it. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you. Amen. And you go on your merry way. But true repentance, dear brethren, manifests itself in these ways I'm not going to say how much how how much and how long this is the spirit's work I leave that in his hands but brethren nonetheless it is real have you ever repented or have you someone just felt bad told enough stories preached long and hard enough stomped and foamed enough to where you felt guilty. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the Word of God doing its work, making you realize who and what you are. Do you know that? And has there been a change in your mind? These fruits accompany it. An eagerness. A desire to clear ourselves. Fear. Going on in it longing, desire to have it straight. Indignation and a holy anger at ourselves as we see that we've sinned against a good God and a zeal and then the revenge. You see, that's the important part. Are you ever led to do something that straightens the issue out? This is why we go to our second major point, point, we just illustrate it with a couple of things. It's a change of works. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action, a change of behavior. John's preaching exemplified it. As John the Baptist first upon the stage of history preaching repentance for the remission of sins, he said, Bring forth therefore, uh, therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. You see, the natural inclination of the religious mind always falls back on its religion. But when the Spirit of God is dealing with you, you can go nowhere but to God. And you will not be satisfied with just going, okay, well, I you know, went to church or I'm, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a Christian Reformed or I'm, I'm this or that or the other. You don't fall back on your heritage. You cast yourself on the mercies of Christ. Christ is the Savior. Christ is the Lord. And He's a willing Savior. And He's a gracious Father to His sinning children. Repent of your sins. Change your mind. Cast your all in the mercies of the resurrected Lord of glory. The God-man came to pay the penalty for the sins of His people. And in His glorious resurrection, He won forever their perfect righteousness. We have a great God and a Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. John said, there's one coming after me. Believe Him. But he didn't just say, well, just, you know, toss some facts in there and kind of turn them around. He says, repent. Believe on Him. repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. He goes on to say, God is able, John goes on to say, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Don't fall back on your heritage there. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him saying, What shall we do then? Do you hear it? He says, Don't just stop with your religion and your heritage change your mind because God's judgment is coming and every every tree that doesn't bear fruit will be cut down they didn't say well we'll go home and think about it they said what do we do what do we do He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came the publicans to be baptized and said, Master, what shall we do? He said, exact no more than which is appointed you. In other words, if there's true repentance, there will be a change of action. There will be a change of lifestyle. There will be fruit. There will be a doing of things that's in harmony with what you've professed as a change of mind. to say, well, you know, I never want to do it again. And then you keep right on doing it. It Points to an unrepentant heart. Because repentance leads to a change of action. It's plainly set forth on the pages of Scripture. You say, wasn't that just for the Jews? No. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle of grace. No one argues with what Paul understood. Paul described his ministry this way in Acts chapter 26. It says, But we showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works, meet for repentance. The apostle of grace said that if you have truly repented of your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a life following that shows your mind is changed. It's like soldiers marching this direction and hearing the command, about faith. And they turn and they go this way. This is repentance. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation. Come to this house. Now, was Jesus saying, Well, if we all go give money to the poor, we'll be saved. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying to a tax collector who were considered the lowest of the lowlifes, those that ripped the people off and took more money than they should have from them, saying, I've changed my mind. I see myself, Lord, in your presence. And now I want to take this money out of the mast up for me, and I want to give half of it to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anybody, I want to restore it fourfold. The law in Exodus and Leviticus required sometimes if uh, something was taken, you would have to give a fifth above. You'd have to take what you had taken, and give it back, and add a fifth to it. Or if you stole an ox and killed it, then you'd have to pay it back five times. If you stole a sheep and killed it, you'd have to pay it back fourfold. What Nicodemus is saying is, I have amassed all this money in my sinful desires. And the very thing that at one time held me, I want to give back. And not only that, Lord, not only do I want to give to the poor, if I've taken anything from anybody, I want to overboard give them back what I need to give them. What are we looking at? Zeal, vehement desire, indignation, a change of mind. Is that right? A clearing of himself. Is that not what he's doing? I don't want to be known as a money grubber anymore. Here. And that's what had happened at Corinth. Paul had written, saying it's commonly reported among you that there's fornication and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. And he says, And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned. In this passage, Paul rejoices because his words of correction were heard. And they, as professing believers, repented. Whether it is repentance unto everlasting life, coming as a sinner to Christ for the first time, or whether we as his children Or made aware of our sins by the Word of God and by His Blessed Spirit, there is always going to be a turning of our minds, a change of mind about our sin and ourselves, and a looking to the Blessed Lord Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the precious Savior, the precious and holy Redeemer. And it will be seen, there will be fruit. It will be born in that life because life is in the heart because the Spirit of God is truly there and when He is the fruits must come have you ever sorrowed after a godly sort this is what it looks like may God grant us true repentance for those of you that do not know Him Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ and to those of you that do. When that sin in your life is made known, don't fall back on your heritage. Cast yourself on the mercies of your Redeemer. Repent and follow after
1: Him.